What's happening in trans-Tasman sport? From Australia and New Zealand with Nikki, Ben and Craig. We're back after a couple of weeks off, the Quasi Sport Podcast. I'm Craig Norenbergs in Auckland and also in Auckland is Nikki Styrus. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. And I know a man who is also doing very well after his sojourn to Japan is Ben Kimber, who's now back in Sydney. Hi, Benny. Craggles, I've I've survived my two weeks only just. <laughs> only just. Right. We want to hear more about your trip to the World Cup a little bit later, but let's start with the NRL Grand Final. And, uh, Benny, well, what can we be saying about the NRL Grand Final? I told you the Raiders would do well this season, but the fickle finger of footy fate did not point their way. It pointed the way of the Roosters' sombrero. What did you think of the Grand Final and the controversial decisions made throughout. Was the, was, the, was the grand final been played? Was that yesterday? Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> I, I didn't realise. I didn't realise. So, so who won, mate? Was it, uh, was it Nick Polite's wallet or was it Ricky Stewart's anger management? What, what, who got up? The leather wallet got up. The Nick Polite's oh, wallet back to back. <laughs> there you go. Well, mate, firstly, I need to apologise to you. I rode you all year. I gave your team heaps. They got there, and yes. they should have won the damn thing. Controversy abounds, mate. The NRL always delivers in spades. If you're looking for something to get upset about, the NRL always manages to get you there. Mate, it, it was it – was, it was, I tell you, the one thing is, Nicky, I can guarantee you the All Blacks are going to win the World Cup because exactly the two teams that I didn't want to make the grand final in the NRL made it, my team went horribly. So clearly my tipping <laughs> ability and what I want to see happen this year is just not going to happen. I didn't want to see the Roosters get there. You know, they're, they're a soulless club built on the cash. I didn't want to see them win it. And then I didn't want to see Ricky Stewart get up there with the, with the trophy in hand either. But I'll give you this, <laughs> Craig. Uh, between these two sides, I wanted the Raiders to win. I don't like to see dominance. I don't like to see the teams that have managed to manipulate their way through the competition better than others. Uh, and the Roosters are that team for me. They don't have a massive fan base. They have amazing players. They seem to have pulled together the most amazing roster. We talk about the Sombrero all the time, but they did it back-to-back, and you have to give it to them. The, the rules are the rules. They're within the rules according to what we can see, so they've won it. Uh, but I tell you this, we're going to get into those controversial moments. I have a list of geese as long as your arm, and the NRL's on there about four times because the game should not have gone that way. The Raiders were... If the Raiders had lifted that trophy, it would have been well-deserved for the game they put on, for the game they turned out, the way their players went. They absolutely should have been in it with a big shake. They were. And just a couple of things, the six again call, the trainers on the field, leave an awful taste in your mouth. The, the fact that both of the Roosters' tries came from relatively controversial moments is not a surprise. They're a machine. They're a fantastic bunch of players. And a couple of things just went against the Raiders. The Roosters pounced. And they managed to take the take the chocolates, mate. But I tell you what, uh, you can you can be proud of your team, uh, and you can think ahead to next year. Uh, whereas, you know, let's hope the Roosters start to crumble from here. Yeah, Nikki, uh, watching that game, I sat there in stunned silence at the end because I kind of knew mm. this is how it was was going to end. How did you see? Because you know, look, that's how sport runs. It's Shakespeare on steroids. You don't know what's going to happen. But the Roosters really. The grand finals are a one-off event, but really over the season, the Roosters were the better team, weren't they? 
Oh, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I think the Raiders have had an outstanding season. But, but like you, I sat there last night and just in my heart of hearts, I thought, they're not going to pull this off. Something's going to happen. And it's almost like, you know, and maybe that's because I'm a long-suffering Warriors supporter. And, you know, they've had their share of controversy this year, as, as other teams have, as far as refereeing decisions go. And it's almost like, I don't know, there's something about the storm and the roosters that seem to get the rub of the green. Things kind of just fall their way. And, and last night really... Sadly, was was no exception. But um, as as Ben said, you should be immensely proud of your Raiders. They they certainly had a fairy tale season, and it may have been twenty five years in the making, and they didn't do it this year. But uh, rest assured, with the, the group they've got there, I think um, they're going to be a massive force next year. I just think it's incredibly sad that an, an outfit like the NRL um, has allowed this to occur t- to the extent that it has, and. By God, this off-season, they better be um, going back to the drawing board and making some changes. I don't know whether that's going back to one on-field um, referee so that they get rid of any sort of miscommunication or uh, argument between them or whether they, I don't know, they just sharpen up their referees um, in their general ability. I, I don't know what the answer is, but right now they're going to be losing um, that fan base out there. And these, you know, punters like, uh, well, what did you just say, Ben? Was there an NRL grand final on? They will lose people. You know, people will go to other sports and they will watch those because they'll get so disheartened with this that they'll think, well, what's the point? So, yeah, massive shame for, for the, the, the grand final last night. But, hey, um, as you say, Ben, the Roosters won on the night, and so congratulations to them, and we'll leave it there, won't we? Benny, let's go through your geese then. There were two incidents. Let's go through the first one with the trainer on the field. That surely enters into some kind of goose lexicon in the future. It was like a double falcon. Well, mate, I've, got, <laughs> I've actually got, I've got six geese this week. I know, I know, I know. I've, You've got a gaggle. Doubled up. Yeah, I've got a gaggle. I've got a gaggle. <laughs> I know that in the past I've doubled up and had a double goose, but I've gone for six. I've got four NRL and two rugby. Uh, so we'll talk about the rugby ones later. The trainers on the field, though, this is remarkably frustrating for a, for a, for a fan of any sport. Get them off the field. Why on earth there is a trainer on the field at any point, any point of the game is beyond me. I don't care. If someone goes down injured, you stop the, stop the game, you get them off. If they need a drink, oh, don't be ridiculous, I need a drink. Get off the field, <laughs> use, your, use your interchange bench. There is absolutely no reason for these people to be on the field. They are an absolute blight on the game, and we saw it at its worst in the grand final. The one game you want to get right, this goose is running around with his two bottles of water and his instructions. We have Alan Langer, who, who is part of the Brisbane backline directing play as a trainer. This is just ridiculous. I think that there, that should be not, if the ball, I think the rule needs to be changed for a start. Firstly, the rule should be no trainers on the field at any stage. If they have to have them on there and if the ball hits the trainer, if it's your trainer, that's a turnover at least or a penalty to the opposition. If your trainer gets in the way, give the ball to the opposition, give them a penalty, let them march upfield because that is an absolute joke. Craig, that would have been infuriating as a Raiders fan, absolutely infuriating and the, the photo of that rooster's trainer with the smile on his dial he ran off the field would have made your blood boil, surely. No, it certainly did. And, and the AFL have, a, have a, um, a ruling that if the trainer at any stage gets in the way of a, of a player who's running for a ball or hits the ball, it's a 50-metre penalty, I think, for the opposition team. And 50 metres, it's half, half the field, I think. So 
it's a real detriment to any trainer who's on the field. And you're right. Alan Langer for Brisbane is coaching. He's telling the halfback or the playmakers where to stand, where to throw the ball, where the, where the gaps are in defence. Um, and what the trainer was doing from the Roosters in the first two or three minutes of the game there, he, he wasn't giving anyone any water. He wasn't, no one had been down mm. injured. He was just directing play and delivering early messages uh, throughout it. Look, that's stupid. But the big one, obviously, so that, so that went against the Raiders and it was kind of like I sat there going, oh, here we go. But the biggest one, Nicky, was the second half incident with under 10 minutes to go where the referee, Ben Cummings, calls six to go and then reverses his decision, which rightly caused Twitter and social media outrage aplenty, which is still going on today. Yeah, actually, you, you always know when something's been um, truly controversial, and I guess you could say the Twitter lines ran hot, and I actually noticed that Fox Sport uh, quoted your tweet, Craig. Did you yes. know that on their article? Um, and, finding and another way. Oh, refs come up with a new way to rob the Raiders this time. Yep. Yeah, yep. and also um, the other thing I noticed was that uh, Sportsbet in Australia actually refunded all head-to-head bets placed on the Raiders to the tune of $1.3 million. That's how aggrieved they felt about it. So I think, you know, when social opinion or public opinion is, is comes out that strong and people are prepared to put their money on the line, then you have to ask some serious questions. And I guess, yes, it comes down to that, um, you know, miscommunication thing again between the two refs. But that was poor because the only, you know, if that had been the sixth tackle for the Raiders, they would have kicked it. And the fact that the Rooster scored off the next set, you know, it just, it just says it all and it, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth and it's really disappointing. Yeah, not taking away from the Roosters' try, great try that actually won it for them. And it had to be Tedesco. The the player that had mm. signed with the Raiders then reneged on the deal, I knew Dallium Player of the Year was going to be him. Uh, Benny, how did you see that last incident? Um, were you? It's funny how if your team uh, falls on the right side of the ledger where, where a decision bounce of the ball goes your way, the outrage from the Raiders supporters like me were very different to what the Roosters supporters were saying. Rooster supporters were basically saying, I didn't see any problem with it. He changed his mind. Which side were you on? Obviously, being a Dragon supporter, you'd be with the Raiders, wouldn't you? You'd be saying, if you make a decision, <laughs> stick to it. Mate, I think, I think the real, the real crux of that, and I've seen people saying on social media things like, you know, it was only one moment in the game, the Roosters defense was amazing, all that kind of stuff. But it's exactly those moments that the game can pivot on. And you saw it, you saw it mm. writ large. When, when the, when the Raiders put the ball up, the playmaker sees six again shown, you know, the hand um, shaking. There's your six again call. They go into a certain mode. The ball goes wide. Mm. They hit the deck. You know, they think we've got time here. We've got time. We don't need to make the big play. Yes, we're, we're, we're only 10, 15 metres out from the, from the rooster's line, but we've got time. I don't have to put the grubber through. I don't have to look to regain possession. I don't have to do anything much because I've got time. And then all of a sudden they're told it's a turnover. That's one of the reasons I think the rooster's scored. That the, the the disarray that would put into the Raiders' mind. They had every chance to go ahead. It's eight all. There's eight minutes left in the game. They're right on the attack. They're in the best possible part of the field. Even if they you know managed to put a kick through and not regain, they would have had their mindset to say, right, let's smash these blokes. Let's keep them back on their own line and really make a big effort here. But all of a sudden, they're thinking, oh god, we we, we haven't you know we haven't done what we needed to do there. We were supposed to be you know putting the ball into the in goal or whatever. Ricky's going to be looking for me. Instead, all of a sudden. 
the Roosters swing wide and attack. Now the Roosters, as I said, they're a class team. They're an, you know they're an amazing team, and I did see that bullshit yarn through the week that said Tedesco didn't go there for the money. Yeah, well, okay, to pull the other one that's got bells on. But they've got <laughs> players, both sides of the field, who are phenomenal. So a little bit of disarray in the Raiders' ranks, a little bit of you know confusion is exactly what it would have been. Confusion in the Raiders' ranks on that one big call. It opened the door for an excellent team to strike, and strike they did. And it, it, it's no it's no coincidence to me that that Roosters try came right after a, a moment of confusion in the Raiders' ranks. And it was just poor. Yes, he called six again, and then he changed his mind. In the heat of battle, in the, as, as everything's flying, that's a really, really tough thing for a team to adjust to, and you could see it. You mm. could see their confusion. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't good. And I, I don't even want to whiz through my mind how I felt after that. And then your final goose was even after the game, when aside from Jack White and getting booed, uh, when receiving the Clive Churchill medal, yeah. <laughs> um, but th- there was a mix-up. Well, apparently, one of the Roosters players was told that he was going to win it. Goose number four. Goose, there we go. The um, there's no surgery. Jo- so Jared will be there. Next Jared Warrior Hargraves was told he'd won the Clive Churchill medal, and when Jack White got up and claimed that the Roosters fans booed. Which is just un, you know, uncharitable. Look, that's that's not Roosters fans. That's it, all fans. We've all got our idiot fans in every club. Uh, Craig, you wrote Raiders fans are a cut above. I don't believe that either. But we've all got we've all got our <laughs> yeah, we've are. all got our uh, our idiots in our uh, in our club. And the Roosters idiots came out to play by booing Jack White, who who had an amazing season. Really, in the end, start of the season, everyone was wondering is he a five eighth or not. He's just been named in the Kangaroo squad, so I think he's put that to bed. He was he was you know definitely one of, if not the best, on the park uh, and deserved that Clive Churchill medal. So if you boot him, you know, pull your head in. Well, it all begins again in 150 days or so. Um, no mm. certainties for the Raiders, but anyway, we'll take a little bit of a break. We could have talked to NRL for a whole hour, but we'll take a break, and I can't wait to hear about Ben's travels through Japan. What's happening in trans-Tasman sport? From Australia and New Zealand with Nikki, Ben and Craig. You are listening to the Quasi Sport Podcast with me, Craig, Nikki Styrus and Ben Kimber. Speaking of Ben, he's just back from Japan and I know Nikki will be going soon. All right, Ben, um, firstly, how was Japan and did they get into the World Cup spirit? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I've just recovered from my two weeks, mate. It was uh, it was outstanding. Um, yes, they absolutely got into the World Cup spirit. Tokyo is massive, so you, you wouldn't know it's on everywhere. It's an enormous city, and not everyone's into it. You know, clearly with a population that size. But the Japanese people who are in and around the World Cup are doing an outstanding job. They've really embraced it. There's people everywhere. Like I forgot how good a World Cup is, and and Japan's doing a great job of it. But I haven't been to a World Cup since 2003. And I forgot just how, what a wonderful event it is. I mean, you know, you can enjoy your rugby league or your AFL, but you, there is nothing like a genuine World Cup with nations everywhere. You're wandering the streets, you put your Wallabies jersey on, you're meeting Argentinians, you're meeting Georgians, you're catching trains and, and you know, um, chipping away at the Welsh guys on the train and they're giving it to you back. It is just, it is an amazing event. And then, and then you know, you're walking through the streets with tens of thousands of people in a strange city you're walking down the street and, and having a beer on the side of the street because you thought you'd just stop for a while and you have a beer with a couple of Welsh guys on the way into the game. And then, you you know, you're wandering through the streets. There is a there is a helper, a Japanese person, every 10 metres 
Um, you, there's a complete language barrier, but everyone's there for the same thing. There's high fives. They're pointing you in the right direction. It, it is it is a wonderful, wonderful event, Nikki. I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. And 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 the footy's been great. Um, there's some controversy we'll talk about with cards, etc. But we've seen some massive games. I watched Japan beat Ireland with four thousand people in Musha 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 Sino. I get that name wrong every time. Um, but there was I went to a classic Wallabies game, and then four thousand, um, four or five thousand locals were there to watch the classic Wallabies, and they wheeled out a couple of big screens. And we all watched the uh, the Japan Island game, and they lost their proverbial um, over <laughs> how good it was. And then you know the game against Fiji in the Sapporo Dome was was excellent. The game that I went to Australia Wales didn't get the result. Wow, an amazing stadium, chock full of people singing, carrying on, and and it is just an event like no other, mate. And you've got to get there. Oh, one you've day, got me excited now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm stuck in the middle. Uh, and and just before, before we leave you, Ben, um, you know the Wallabies that that Wales game. Uh, what do you think of the Wallabies at the World Cup so far? Well, look as I as I told you guys beforehand, I didn't think we'd win it, and I didn't think we'd win it for a number of obvious reasons. That Wales game was, in a nutshell, Michael Checker's Wallabies. They started poorly. They weren't getting things right. He made a poor selection in Bernard Foley. Um, he's always been average at the selection table. He certainly, you know, hasn't got this team going the right direction. The reason that is is because he he still has always been a coach who believes he can play the game they want to play and the opposition won't matter, and that and he gets out coached. And it happened here. Wales man to man were not a better side than the Wallabies, but they put in a better con- combined eighty minute effort to their game plan. They knew what they wanted to do and how they wanted to play. They played a game where they to take on the Wallabies. The Wallabies tried to do what they thought they needed to do themselves, and they looked like a team that didn't prepare for Wales. They prepared for the game that they thought is the be- the game that no one can can um, handle, and it's that's been Checker all the way through. He gets beaten at the selection table, and he gets beaten tactically. But then you see thirty minutes of them getting it right, and wow, you know when they get it right, the Wallabies are wonderful to watch. They just can't get it right for eighty minutes, and they don't prepare for the opposition. What 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 were Wales going to bring? You know, where should they play them on the park? I was on, I was five seats back on halfway watching the game. George North uh, was on the wing right near me. He spent his whole time up in the line with acres of space behind him. You've got Corabidi marking him. Any little kick in behind there, Corabidi would have lapped George North on the turn. He's such a big unit. But no, the Wallabies were heads down playing the game they (laughs) wanted to play. So it was exactly what I thought I would see, mate. A Wallaby team with plenty of talent, but without the right game plan and the right selections which is where Michael Checker's failings have been. So it's disappointing, but, but you know, we've still got a puncher's chance and, and I'll, be, I'll be cheering us through. No such worries for Steve Hansen, you'd imagine, Nicky, despite, well, against Namibia, they were behind for, for a little while and that was always <laughs> going to happen, that the All Blacks would run over the top of them, but they beat the Springboks. Um, they're looking pretty good, but, but I noticed that living in New Zealand, all the naysayers are out saying, ooh, they're not playing. I, I haven't seen another team other than maybe England that could trouble them. Yeah, look, I think it's quite difficult to tell at this point exactly how every team is tracking because we, we've seen sort of two sides of the coin. We've seen these teams play well and then we've seen them, you know, play not so well perhaps against um, a lower-ranked side. And you can only pe- compare apples with apples, oranges with oranges. But as far as the All Blacks are concerned, I think they are tracking well and um I think they've proven um, with the Springboks that they can adapt <clears throat> to any, well, unlike Checkers team, to, to a game plan 
um, and do what's necessary to win. And they showed that against the Springboks, um, you know, with dealing with their rush defence. They they looked all over the place in that first 20 minutes, and I was seriously nervous that we were going to lose that. But they, they adapted really well, and, you know, they started using the kicking game more. And then they just – they basically, you know, had the Springboks spring box guessing and so and eventually they came out on top and I think the one thing that the All Blacks are particularly good at is that they do play for 80 minutes and they just wear sides down and we saw that you know even against um, you know the the passionate Namibians last night who came out firing and so is every every minnow team has done that and and you would expect so they're fresh they're up against you know the world champions in front of a big crowd so they're going to impress you know for a good 20-30 minutes they probably impress a little bit longer than um um, Hanson would have liked, to be honest, but a good rev up at halftime and we saw a different all-black side come out in that second half. Um, one big, big, big plus and bonus was seeing Brodie Retallick come through that 30 minutes uh, against Namibia. Now, I know that obviously he wasn't tested uh, in, this, in the breakdown like he will be against much stronger sides and that will be a real test on his shoulder with those, you know, d- tight tackling and that type of thing, but... Um, you know, he's come through that and he'll get another crack against Italy on Saturday. So hopefully we're going to see a, a strong Brodie Retallick uh, in that quarterfinals, whether we're playing Scotland, Ireland, Samoa, Japan. Who knows? That pool's so wide open. It's, it's really hard to pick at this point. Um, and I think the other big thing that I've noticed is that Anton Leonard Brown, I think, has um, raised his hand and said, I, I am your number one for the, you know, in that uh, midfield combination. And I think that uh, all going well, it'll be him and Jack Goodhue. And I think Sonny Bill Williams has also had a strong tournament so far and he will come off the bench. And I think, unfortunately for Ryan Crotty, he might miss out. So that's how I see it. Yeah. Do you think Benny, so? Um... I, I, I'm just going to say, like I, I've been saying all year and perhaps even longer, I think, I think Anton Leonard Brown's a talent. I think Steve Hansen prefers Crotty or Sonny Bill. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see when they get to the quarterfinal who he does pick because I think you're mm. right. I think Anton Leonard Brown has been outstanding. But I think mm. he likes he likes what Crotty brings in terms of a second ball player and he's mm-hmm. just a massive Sonny Bill fan for the way Sonny Bill can straighten the line and offload. I think, I think Hanson prefers Crotty and Sonny Bill, but I'll, I'll be, you know, but Angelina Brown is certainly putting a marker down. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does run with. Mm. Mm. And Benny, let's play our favourite game, which is of the teams that, um, you know, outside of some of the minnows, the teams that are certainly not going to win it. Who are they? <laughs> Man, how long? How long have you got? You're doing it the wrong way, mate. There's, there's too many that aren't going to win it. Look, I, I don't think, I, I, you know, even though Wales beat Australia, I, I don't think Wales showed enough to, to, to say they are genuine contenders. I mean, you know, they were solid, they were connected, they were good, they, you know, they put a good game plan out there, but we're, we're, gonna, we're talking about, you know, when the bar goes up a notch into the quarters, semis and finals, I don't think, and, and I don't think Australia either, I don't think Australia or Wales look good enough to win three big games in a row. Uh, I think the All Blacks obviously do. England obviously does. I think you can't rule out South Africa. Um, I said before the tournament too that you know people weren't talking about Ireland enough, and then they went and got beaten by Japan. You know, which will make them rue some of the selections they made for that game. I, I'd be worried if I was an Irish fan. They've put some real um, uh, crap out there in a couple of games. Uh, they they look like they are on the downslide from their peak. So you know, I think before the tournament. We said, you know, England, South Africa, All Blacks, uh, and I, I'd be sticking with that. Outside of that, I don't think you're a big chance. 
and and South Africa on their day in a final or a semi final against the All Blacks absolutely can beat the All Blacks, um, as can England. So I think it's one of those three sides. Yeah, no one's mentioning France, Nikki. Oh, <laughs> France! It's like you know how long's a piece of string? You never know what French side's gonna gonna roll up. So, um, they they played Tonga, didn't they, last night? And nearly lost. Yeah, yeah, twenty three, twenty one. They were yeah. lucky to get away with it. They, exactly. So you know, and then on another day, a French side could roll up and and play out of their skin. So I, I I'll steer clear of talking about them. I think Ben's absolutely correct. I think England, South Africa, and New Zealand are the are the three that stand out for me. Um, Ireland, I definitely hope so because I think we're going to meet them in the quarterfinals. I don't think they're the team that they were twelve months ago, and uh, they haven't really showing that in the tournament so far. So I actually think that uh, they will go by the wayside. I don't think Australia will be there either, but I think England and South Africa on their day uh, can definitely beat the All Blacks. And um, so those will be our our runners-up slash winners. And the referees, some of the refereeing decisions or interpretation of the rules are goose-like. Who wants to jump in on this one first of what they thought of the referees' performances so far? Maybe Ben, you start. But I think I think it's been poorly managed. I mean, world rugby, you know, is is driving at the right outcome. I mean, you you watch the NRL and the number of high shots that let, get let go. I mean, the, the, what we know about concussion and head injuries these days, the the what world rugby is trying to do is the right thing. The way they're going about it in a World Cup is the wrong way. the The inconsistency in the decisions is astonishing. I don't know if you saw the two Italian players who speared. Uh, a South African Vermeulian into the turf. They just got given three weeks, exactly the same as what Reese Hodge got for an accidental head, uh, accidental uh, high clash on a on a Fijian player who stepped into him. Like it was just Hodge. You know, it's like if that's your ruling, that's your ruling. I thought that was harsh on Hodge, but if that's your that's your benchmark, that's your benchmark. But then you go away and give three weeks to two Italian guys who pick a player up and spear him headfirst into the turf. That is absolutely ridiculous. And at the same time, Piers Francis from England gets nothing. A yellow card is sufficient for something that looked exactly the same as what Lavanini did when he got a red card uh, in the England game. So it is astonishing the inconsistency that we're seeing in games, out of games. Australia, uh, Uruguay, we received two yellow cards at, for two different incidents, and there were two other incidents which weren't yellow cards that were the same or worse. It was just a palaver. At least the All Blacks have finally been pinged. Um, the first couple <laughs> of games, they got away with blue murder. Kieran Reid is offside every time. He's taking people out and he's not being stopped. I want to see that stopped. But we are just seeing a whole lot of inconsistency here that is going to ruin the spectacle. So they've got to, they've got to pull their socks up. But Kieran Reid's lucky to uh, be playing the rest of this tournament, isn't he, Nicky? I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to have this discussion. That was a, mm. supposed to be about the referees, but Ben got a little dig in there, it didn't is. he? A little wee dig. Yep. <laughs> what I would say is, yes, the oh, All Blacks Teflon got pinned. <laughs> All righto. But how can you? Here's the thing: how can you legally tackle a ball carrier who puts his head in harm's way? Because it's exactly what we saw in last night. Now I know that. Um, by the by, the law, those two yellow cards to Lalala and to Fassi were legit. But what? But how do you how do you how do you get in, out, out of the way of that? I mean, teams might as well coach 
their ball players to, to, to drop their heads down because you can't tackle that. So, like Ben, I think there's issues here. You know, there's issues with inconsistency. There's issues with the law, and a little bit well, nowhere near like the NRL. But it is it is dominating this tournament in, in chat, and and I think that's disappointing. You want to say something, Ben, about point, the tackling? Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah, your point is your point is exactly right because we saw the same thing in the Australia Wales game, where Karevi, a, a really pertinent and a really um, formative penalty that changed the game. Samu Karevi carried the ball up, and Reese Patchett, I think his name is, the replacement Wales 5'8", who was an awful tackler, came in standing upright, head up, and and and, and Karevi's forearm hit him in the chest and slid up a little bit, and he got mm. penalised for, for, for that. But as, as I do on my rugby podcast with Morgan, as we discussed on there, it, it, straight away, if, if Karevi had not lifted his arm and, and kept Patchett away, they would have clashed head to head. There would have been a head clash, and Reese mm. Patchett would have been red carded for a dangerous tackle. So Karevi, in protecting himself and trying to run over a bloke, gets a penalty that changes the whole game because a guy can't tackle. And it's, mm. similarly, if, if these guys if these guys are putting their heads in the wrong place when they're when they're tackling, there is a real issue because all of a sudden, like Owen Farrell ducks into a Lavanini hit, and Lavanini's six foot seven, and he's got to come down three feet. To try to get under a ducking Owen Farrell, there's some real issues here. Mm. What's the answer, though? Well, the answer is they've got to be really, really clear on what the penalties are for a start. The penalties that they're handing out, they're handing out three weeks to everybody. So it's basically like they're saying it's a World Cup, and three weeks won't kill a World Cup for someone if they're into the finals. Um, they need to be clear on what is the, you know, what where the impact is and where it goes to, and they need to get better in the TMO box, etc. We've got that Kiwi TMO who's stuffing Australia around. He's out there making trouble for everybody. We need to be very, very clear <laughs> on what exactly um, these different scenarios are and what the implications are. I think John Hart, the former Kiwi uh, coach, said it mm-hmm. best when he said that, you know, yellows and red red cards were were originally for foul play, for deliberate actions. And that's what yes. they should be for. If we're talking about, you know, in the in the, in a contact sport, in a collision sport, if someone slides up a bit from a shoulder impact or up off the ball, that's not a deliberate action. It might be a little careless, penalise it, but penalise yes. it and get on with the game. Whereas recognise also the play the tackler, the role the tackler plays and the role of the ball carrier plays, and understand that interaction properly. So when we talk about the likes of these blokes putting their heads in the wrong place and the tackler creating the issue then the tackler should be the one at fault. What a shame we're talking about there the level of refereeing and inconsistencies when it's, uh, it's the World Cup. We've got to wait every four years for this. No certainties, mm. as the Raiders and the Roosters proved last night, that the best team will win on the day and the referees won't play their part. I'm sure they will. Let's take a break, and then we're going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about our... Now we've spoken about plenty of gooses or geese, whole flocks of them. Let's talk about some great... <laughs> You're listening to the Quasi Sport Podcast with Nikki, Craig, and Ben. It is the Quasi Sport Podcast with me, Craig, Nikki, and Ben. Uh, guys, all right, let's finish uh, on a high note. Nikki, who was your great of the week? Well, I had a good look at this, and I mean, there's a lot of good things that have been happening in the rugby and perhaps in, you know, league with um, players retiring and things like that. But I think um, for me, I've gone off piste a little bit. Um, 
now you love it or hate it uh mixed martial arts is here to stay it's huge and it's almost starting in my view to start taking over boxing and in, in, in popularity uh 57,000 fans went to watch that in melbourne um last night and there was a kiwi kiwi uh israel adesanya up against another new zealand born australian robert whittaker um and I have gone with Israel Adesanya as my great for a number of reasons. A, because he's now the undisputed middleweight champion in the UFC. But, but more than that, he is, uh, he's an entertainer. And when it comes to sport and the, and the punter's dollar, you need to be able to entertain. And with the MMA, there's, you know, there's three elements. There's the pre, then there's the fight, and then there's the post. And Adesanya entertained in every facet of that. He had choreographed a pre-dance, um, you know, performance with his, his three of his school buddies of all things now tell me that's not somebody who's got ice running through their veins they're about to have a title fight but he's busy worrying about what he's doing beforehand and, and dancing with his school buddies um he he fought he's extremely fast his kickboxing skills are phenomenal and his ability to avoid Whitaker and eventually take him down in the second round was was second to none if you enjoy watching that type of uh, sport and in the post he didn't shy away either he basically called out his next opponent and it wasn't just any old opponent like, you know, someone that he could beat. He picked out the hardest and the fastest and Paolo Costa. So for that reason and for the fact that so many people are really enjoying what he is bringing to the sport, he is my great of the week. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like it. It's a glorified prison fight is the way that I see the UFC. With it's no different to with... boxing. Yeah, yeah, it's probably true. Oh, I don't yeah, know if I agree with I, that, I do think, I do think he's... Um, <laughs> I think you're right about Israel. I loved what he, the dance that he did beforehand, and he was good. Mm. He wasn't mm. uh, like he was busting some moves that um, if he was just a dancer, you'd say, "Oh, I get it." But he's you're right, multi-talented athlete. All right, Benny. Um, but incidentally, Benny, I just heard you say in the background you're not a fan. I'm not a huge fan of UFC. Are you a fan or not a fan? I, I, I'm I, I'm not going to say whether I'm a fan or not because I kind of I kind of am and I'm kind of not. But Nikki said it was like boxing. It's not like boxing. In boxing, if a guy hits the canvas unconscious, you can't jump on top of him and put four more into his head before the ref stops you. So there, there are definitely parts of UFC that I don't like, in that I think it's, I think it's dangerous. Yes, it's like boxing, ah. in that it, you know, in that the, in that the, in the, you know, that the end result is definitely about incapacitating your opponent. But uh, the, the parts of UFC I don't like is, you know, as I said, one, a guy can be clearly knocked out, and he can cop four more he- hits to the head while his head's on the canvas. And I think that's that's wrong. And I don't, the only you know, re- the only reason I'll argue sport. with you on that point is that they they when they are hitting with a very very small thin glove on their hand in MMA, the force of the punch apparently is nowhere near as bad as the force of a punch from a boxer who has oh, um, put it away. Prop- put it away. No, Nikki. that that is apparently the <laughs> what case. What about an they, elbow the- or a knee? Well, yes, but you still don't. You're still not getting the same blunt force from a boxing glove. So. That's I my dis- argument. I disagree. <laughs> Actually, you know what? <laughs> I was going to make. I was going to make. I was going to make Robert Whittaker my grade of the week because he had such an awful preparation. He had so many issues, and he still got out there to fight. He'll come back. Trust me on that. Um, <laughs> my, my, I'll go. I'll give you my grade of the week to close this out, though, Craggles. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be Cooper Cronk. I mean, I, I you know I took the proverbial out of them, out of them at the top of the show. The Roosters talk about Nick Pilati's wallet, etc. Um, uh, you know, but Cooper Cronk. From the Melbourne Storm through to the Roosters has proven to be the ultimate professional. Well, you know, the money they paid him, and yes, he came for the money. Yes, Tedesco came for the money. 
Don't ever tell me about the loyalty of the Roosters and Nick Politis. Tell you know, tell Mitchell Pearce about their loyalty. Um, they're a, they're a ruthless organisation that have just invested in the right talent. You've got to give it to Cooper Cronk. He is one of the best we've seen in terms of the way he can manage a team. When he was down at the Storm, he was one of the big three. You know, to be frank, at the Roosters, he is the big one, probably maybe the big two with Tedesco. Uh, Cooper Cronk, uh, outstanding, um, uh, you know, record and to, 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 to take the Roosters to back to back. Let's make, make no mistake. He's the reason they've got those two titles in my mind. Yeah, I agree. And that whole bulldust about, uh, I had a cup of coffee with somebody. They convinced me to go to such and such yeah. a club. You'd think the coaches... Craig, we've heard that, that stuff um, for 20, 30 years. We know that, what that oh, stuff's yeah. like. And if, if it was true, then clubs would be hiring coffee experts who would just would just sit down <laughs> and have a chat with someone to convince them. We all know, but I, I think, they think they think we're all stupid. Good chat. Long time coming, Ben. Good to have you uh, back on the podcast. Um, Nikki, when do you leave? Uh, boys, I leave on the 17th. So what are we now? What are about 10 days away? Um, so I'm ah. pretty excited, actually. Um, yeah, right. it's going to be and great. So you should be. Yeah, so yeah. At least we'll be able to bring some stories back, hopefully. Yep, one podcast <laughs> between now and then. Uh, Benny, thank you for your input. Thanks, team. Good to chat. And Nikki, Nikki, great to hear your voice as well. Thanks, guys. Catch you next week. And we are on Twitter, Facebook, and at quasisport.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Quasi Sport Podcast. 